Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Madiba. If you happen to be in our area, you are most welcome to visit us. You'll surely feel at home. We appreciate your prayers for our ministry. We hope today's sermon will be edifying to you, your family, and your friends. Welcome.
I greet all of you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, once again. It's a privilege just to come around the table to have a fellowship on the way of life. <clears throat> uh, knowing very well that uh, we are dealing with quite a lot. There is a pandemic that we are going through. And while we are busy with the pandemic, there are unrest taking place around the country where we have seen uh, looting taking place. And I think that has made quite a lot of people to be anxious. I've seen in America uh, during the Black Lives Matter, there was as well uh, unrest. I looked in, I think it was in England, after a soccer match, there were unrest. And you look at uh, in our country, there was unrest. There is unrest in Cuba. So the whole world is going towards somewhere. You can see something has got to give. But, uh, you know, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a mighty tower. The Russians run into it and are saved. It does not say <laughs> America, UK, Russia, uh, to them you are saved. It says the name of the Lord. So I think there is no place that is a place of refuge except uh, in the Lord. So Brother Bram told us that there's coming a time where insanity is going to be rampant. And he said, I think he's in the message and know with it not. He says, I prophesy that insanity will come upon the people. Now, when it comes to unrest, there's quite uh, various variables, some legitimate, some illegitimate. Well, one variable is political, where politicians exploit a certain angle. Another variable is economics, where because of the inequality. And the third one is just pure criminality. So those are the variables that are at play. But I think we as believers, when we see such things, the best thing that we can do is just to pray about it, pray for our safety, pray for the safety of our loved ones, and God will take care of the rest. Brother Bram says, politics is rotten to the core. Uh, there isn't much that we can do, uh, but in the same vein, all we can do is to pray for our leaders. That is the best that we can do as believers. Now, <clears throat> before we read the word, I want to continue on speaking on spiritual uh, training. Spiritual training, where we left off, I think now we are on the third leg on this subject, spiritual Training. But before we read the word, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. We appreciate you for your protection, your guidance, and your leadership. In a world that is falling apart, we admit that our faith is not falling apart. In a world where systems are falling apart, 
we are happy that our fellowship is not falling apart. In a world where the center does not seem to hold, we are very much encouraged to know that the name of the Lord is a mighty tower and the righteous run into it and are saved. We pray for our brethren, especially in Houting and as well as in Durban. May you be with them, may you protect them. And dear God, we remember Joseph Chetty, who has had an accident and who is in the hospital. We are sending a prayer his way. You are the great physician. You are the one that can bring a total healing to whatever ailment that we may have. Hence, we commit him to you in the name of Jesus Christ as we commit the way. Amen. God bless you richly. Now, as I said, we are going to speak on spiritual training as we turn to our scripture. We will find our text from the first Samuel 13, verse 14. Samuel, first Samuel, the 13th chapter, the 14th verse. He found it reads in this manner. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. These words were spoken to Saul which was during a time of transition from the kingship of Saul to the kingship of David. Now, I said I want to speak about spiritual training, and our discussion is going to center so much on David, a man after God's own heart. And we want to unpack because I think the pinnacle of spiritual training is to come to a spot where God can say this man or this woman is a man or a woman after my own heart. I think it is an aspiration of every believer. Just imagine God boldly telling people that this man or this woman is a, is a person after my own heart. You know, there are certain people that found favor with God. Job found favor that God knew that no matter what would happen to Job, Job would never turn his back on God. You look at Abraham, one scripture says, For I know Abraham, that he will command his household after my own commandments and my statutes. Imagine God having such confidence to say, I know this man, I know this woman will do my will. But uh, tonight I want us to look into David. David is a very interesting character in the Bible, and we are going to zoom into his life, and hopefully there are some lessons that we can glean from his life 
and be able to implement them in our lives. Now, God says he's a man after my, his own heart. Now, when you look at David, we know that he, although there's a bit of a debate as to when he was anointed to be a king, but much literature that is available in public domain points to the fact that Samuel may have anointed David to be a king at the age of 15. Now, at the age of 15, God saw it fit that there should be a transition from kingship of Saul to the kingship of David. But after he was anointed to be a king, he did not become a king immediately. What we see is that later on, he had to wait and go through some trials until he was appointed a king at the age of 30 years, meaning he has had 15-year gap between the anointing and the appointment, which I would want to call it a training, a time of training. And I think even before I run ahead of myself, I think you are beginning to see if you want to go somewhere with God, you have to have you have to exercise patience. You have to wait upon the Lord because it is in waiting where God tests your motives and your objectives. And that is why I say there was a gap between the appoint the anointing and the appointment, a 15-year gap. And this is the area where I'm interested to come in and just to uh, look into what transpired during that time and what we can learn and apply in our lives as spiritual training. On Sunday, we spoke about how dangerous it is to put an untrained soldier in the front lines of warfare. It is absolutely to compromise productivity in an organization if they were to give an employee and put them in a key role without training. Anywhere where you go, there's got to be training. Even in the ministry, we are told that there are certain things that a novice would not do. So training is very, very imperative in every sphere of life, and particularly when it comes to the matters of God, as we are going to see with the life of David. Now, it seemed terrible, endless, disastrous, tragic, and scary for those 13 years or 15 years, depending on how you look at it. But I want to say 15 years of training but those hard times were exactly what made David so great during his 40-year reign. Now, waiting is very testing by its nature. But God had to take David through. The... Now, why did not God, after the anointing, why did he not immediately make David a king? Why, they, why was there supposed to be a waiting in between? Why is it that uh, things that you need from the Lord, why are they not just being granted instantly? Why is he waiting so critical when it comes to our Lord? Now, 
the Israelites, when they left Egypt, we know and we've been told it was a 10-day ten journey, but it later became a 40-year journey because God had to sift. God had to test the character of the people that he, Moses had led out of Egypt. Why rapture did not take place in the 60s? Why it seems like we are going through these commotions that the world is going through, but somewhat still God prefers that we need to wait. We are going to unpack and check what training, what waiting does, because waiting is part of training. You know, in one message, Brother Branham says, what we need now in this hour is gallant men and women that would need to take no for an answer. If they believe that God promised something, they say if he does not do it today, he will do it tomorrow. If he does not do it tomorrow, he will do it next week. If he does not do it next week, he will do it next month. If he does not do it next month, he will do it next year. But ultimately, God is a keeper of his own weight. So that is why in, tra- in waiting, that is where a character is being developed. Now, I believe that had God immediately made a 15-year-old to be a king, it was going to be a scenario where one has got power without character. And we are going to unpack what it means to have power without character. Now, the prophet says in this message, uh, the exposition of the seven church age, it says, unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. Unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. If he was despised, we have to be despised. If he was rejected, we have to be rejected. If he was undermined, we've got to be undermined. But unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You have to suffer to reign. The reason for this is that character simply is never made without suffering. Character is a victory, not a gift. Emphasize, character is not a victory, is a victory, not a gift. A man without character can reign because power, apart from character, is satanic. But power with character is fit to rule. I think you would agree with that statement, especially what we see with the political instability around the world. is because people without character assume to power, and that is why the results are satanic. This applies in every sphere of life. Even within a church environment, if one can have power, Without character, the results are going to be disastrous. Anyway, in a family, if one has got power without character, results are going to be disastrous. You can apply this in every sphere of life. But what God did with David, he wanted to develop his character. I can imagine David by the time, I mean, he was anointed to be a king. And later we know that at the age of 17, between 15 and 17, 
David is in the wilderness. He kills a lion. He kills a bear. He has got this experience of the God that he was talking about. Later, he is go, he's being sent on an errand to deliver a lunch, a lunch pack to his brethren. He gets there. He finds a Goliath. He fights a Goliath. He overcomes Goliath. He comes from the battle and everybody is raving about David. Women are singing that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. Now, David became a popular man. David became the favorite. I think during that time, he must have said, he could have said, he could have said, I've got the baking. A prophet anointed me to be a king. I have overcome the bear. I've overcome the lion. I've overcome Goliath. So I am the man. But David had the ability to wait upon God. This is very difficult, especially when a person has become popular and has found favor with people. It becomes difficult to wait upon the Lord. But we're going to check and unpack the character of this illustrious character in the Bible, how he was and what made God to say, this is a man after my own heart. Now, I said, you look at it, God wanted to develop his character. Now, the prophet comes in the message, humble thyself, paragraph 77. He says, you know, people want power. Everywhere where a group of people gather, you'll find that people uh, want power. But here's the prophet, let me carry on and not interrupt. You know, people want power. And really, they don't know what power is. See, they don't really know what goes with it. The way up is down, always. If you want power, see how humble you can get. Just get away from all your worldly thinking and humble yourself before God. Then you've got more power than the man that runs all over the building and makes a big lot of noise. See, because you have been able to conquer yourself and commit yourself to Christ. You see, to humble yourself before him, that's real power. I'm getting excited because Brother Abraham said the greatest power or the greatest display of power is for you to conquer yourself. But a lot of people think for you to display power, you've got to conquer other people. It does not work like that. You know, the ways of the world are not God's ways. That is why for the way up is the way down. And the way forward with God is the way backwards. In the end time, for us to move forward, we had to go back to what he has done uh, in the early church. Now, I want to, you have to conquer yourself. A lot of people have not conquered themselves. Even in a church environment, people are, are still absorbed by who they are. They are still absorbed by the I.I. disease. But the Lord says, the prophet says, you have to conquer yourself. That is the display of power and commit yourself to Christ. So now, as we move along, now, this is something that shows David's character. Remember, David, it was not a rumor. It was not just a public sentiment that David had to be a king. 
It was the prophet, it was thou saith the Lord that confirmed that David is meant to be a king. And he was anointed by the prophet to be a king. Now, and there were illustration or a track record that backed up that anointing where he was able to overcome. But we understand that because of what transpired, because after he had killed Goliath and became popular with people, and he was a great musician, a gifted young boy, and if you take it further, he, Brother Branham says, the Bible says he was a very handsome young man. So it looked like everything was working for David until to such an extent that it created jealousy in Saul to start wanting to go after David. Imagine from being a nation's rescuer now to becoming a nation's fugitive because of the animosity that arose in Saul's heart that was targeted towards David. Now David had to flee and he had to be, he had to be a fugitive. He had to run up the mountains and down the valleys until he had to find himself the mighty gentle warriors and worked with them and became a fugitive away from his own people, away from everything that he had known since as a little boy. Now, here is a man that knew this man would want to kill me because in the succession, I am his successor. The predecessor wanted to kill the successor. Now, look at what transpired. While he knew that Saul wanted to kill him, but let us look at the time where David had an opportunity to kill Saul and how it was handled. Look at this. Now, and I want to call it an unprincipled opportunity. Let me, and uh, there's a message on its own. The devil will always present unprincipled opportunities. So here it's an unprincipled opportunity that was presented to David. That's why if you get any opportunity, ask yourself, is it principled or unprincipled? If it is principled, it will deliver the desired result. But if it is unprincipled, it will have undesirable ripple effect in your life. But let us look at David. David here in First Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. Samuel, First Samuel 24, verse 4. Let's look at it if you find it. Now, the Bible says, and the, the, and the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy, thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. Now check. <laughs> he knows the enemy is coming after me. The enemy is chasing after me. The enemy wants to destroy me. Now he finds Saul in a vulnerable position where he had an opportunity to take him out. His men are saying, finally, God has delivered your enemy into their own hand to see fit what you can do with the enemy. 
But again, look, any human being reasonably would have said the Lord created this opportunity for me to avenge myself. But look at, look at what we call a principled worshiper, a principled king, a principled believer, a principled individual that David was. Oh God, may God grant us more principled people. Look at the reaction of, of him. David refused to take the opportunity, refused to, to kill Saul. And in 1 Samuel 24, verse 17, and Saul, after he realized the opportunity that David had and did not use it, and he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me, whereas I have rewarded thee with evil. Here is my question to you. Will, can you bring your enemy to the point where your enemy can say, you are more righteous than I am. You are, I have, I have given you evil, but you only returned good unto me. But we live during a time where we want to settle this cause. We live during a time where we want to revenge ourselves. But look what made David to be a man after God's own heart. He could have killed Saul and instantly became the king. But he knew it was not God's time. He knew that it was not God's approach. Here is my question to you. Was there ever a time in your life where you had an opportunity, but when you evaluated the opportunity against your principle, your godly principle, you turned back and say, I cannot do it because it is not coming according to the channel that is principle. Therefore, I will not accept it. Look, David could have justified a lot of things, but he said no until it moved to the heart of the enemy. Until the enemy said, look, you are much better than I am. You are now giving me good while well, I've given you uh, bad. Now, let's carry on. It brings me to this quotation of Brother Brenham. In the message Hebrews 75, the book of Hebrews 7, paragraph 75, he says, and real true, true battles are not fought with selfish motives. Wars are not fought for money. Wars are fought for more. Wars are fought for motives, for principles. Men fight war for principles. Oh, brother, I've seen battles in the message of the hour. I've seen battles in churches. I've seen battles in the community, even in nations. But I've seen fewer battles that are driven by principles. But Brother Brandon says battles are not fought for money. Battles are not fought for selfish motives. Battles are fought for principles. Here's my question. You're going to fight battles. It's inevitable. But the question would be the battles that you are going to fight, are you driven by principles or are you driven by selfish motives? The disagreements that you have engaged yourselves in, the question would be, those disagreements, are they driven by principles or are they driven by selfish motives? Now, here is David. He knew that this battle... It's a principled battle. It was started by the Lord. 
It has to be directed by the Lord and the Lord will bring it to finality. And if the Lord did not tell me about it, I am not going to do anything about it. Yes, I am appointed. I am anointed to be a king. But there is not being a transfer of power, but I am going to wait. Look at David. He even tells his men, I will not kill the God's anointed one. Why would you call God's a, 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 a backslidden king. He calls him the God's, God's anointed one. He knew Saul had backslidden. He knew that the reason I'm anointed, he is backslidden. But David did not use that up. I can imagine today, had it been many of us, where God anointed you, you are a king. This man is backslidden. We were going to make a sermon about it, we were going to come behind the pulpit. The title would have been a backslidden king. When God leaves you, it shows. But that is not how David did it. And I want to drive it home here, even within the pastoral circle, even within the church, the message uh, uh, environment. My question the attacks and the counterattacks that we have had. Is it driven by principles or was it driven by selfish motives? If it was driven by selfish motives, may God help us. May God become merciful to us. But uh, wars, real, oh brother, real true battles are not made with selfish motives. Wars are not fought for money. Wars are fought for principles. Men fight war for principles. Now, this, this is now, you can see, between the appointment, uh, the anointing, and the appointment, and this 15-year gap, it is giving us a display of David. David was not a war monger. David was not a power monger. David was a principled man. David had a way to handle himself. He had the decorum of being a king, even though he was not appointed a king. My question would be, in your daily activities, in your interactions with people, in how you do things, do you have a decorum of a worshiper? Brethren, I want to say to you, having a message believer title is not enough unless it is backed up by that conduct. You know, I remember during, I think it was in Jeffersonville, where Brother Brenham had gone somewhere to buy something. And the owner of the shop said to Brother Brenham, your people normally come here. They are the sweetest bunch of people that I've ever met. Here is an unbeliever observing a conduct of the people that were coming there. And he says, these people are an amazing people. And actually, let me go back to another quotation. I think I must have missed something here. In the message, Humble Thyself, paragraph 77, and when you go to paragraph 78, the prophet says, you show me a church that's humble, real humble, no arrogancy, a church, just a sweet, humble church. I will show you a church that has the favor and power of God in it. Pack that thought. Today, 
the, we are under illusion. People have been engulfed by a spirit of deception. The, our church is the only church. Other churches are dead. That statement on its own, when you contrast it with what the prophet speaks about here and say, show me a church, that's a humble, real humble, not arrogancy. A church, just sweet, humble church. I will show you a church that has the favor and power of God in it. In one quotation, he says, if you want to get somewhere with God, never let that arrogant spirit close to you. So, brethren, the way up is the way down. David had the ability to reject an unprincipled opportunity. David was able to look at the enemy and say, I will not avenge myself. Revenge is of the Lord. David, I can imagine those men that was with David, they must have been worn by a character of this man. They must have been worn by the principles of this man, the values of this man. They must have seen that goodness. This is the king. This is the king. This is the man that can handle power because character is not a it's a victory is not a gift. Mm. Now, the weight is an important refining, training, and testing time. When God makes you wait, he wants to refine you, wants to train you, wants to test you, and often in a way that may seem opposite to where you want to be. This statement, I want it to be engraved on your subconscious mind. The weight is an important refining, training, and testing time. Often in a way that may seem opposite to where you want to be. Often in a way that may seem opposite to where you want to be. Goodness. David was meant to be a king. But the waiting made him a fugitive. Joseph was supposed to be worshipped by the brethren, but the waiting made him a prisoner. Now, brethren, where you are now, it may look contrary to what you were initially promised. I want to say to you, it is the waiting. God wants to refine you. God wants to train you. God wants to equip you. God wants to test you whether you can handle power. And I want to say to you, I was speaking to somebody. I say, when you start a company, you don't just become a managing director of a company. The day you start, you become a sweeper, you become a cashier, you become the person that makes the errands for your business. And later on, when you are big, a top guy, the reason you are there is because you understand the steps of getting there. You have gone through the stage one, stage two, stage three, until you are stage 100. And per adventure that something may go wrong, and you come back to stage one, the beauty about it is that your character has allowed you 
the ability to rebuild because you know the stages of how you got today. Easier come, easier goes. If you don't know how you got where you are, if you live, if you fall from where you are, you would not know how to get back to where you are. Thank be to God that God has allowed us to go through a testing time where he is testing us, where he is building our character. Now, let us come to something here interesting. When God takes you through the waiting period, he is not going to leave you on your own. God has never forsaken his children at any time. When David became a fugitive, look what God does in the palace. Look at what God does in the very place where the one David did. God raises a young man, Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. But David now finds a favor with Jonathan. It is indeed an oxymoron that you are being hated by the father, you are being hunted by the father, but he, now the son favors you, the son loves you unconditionally. What made, I, don't, I think Jonathan was placed by God from the palace to be able to help David and maybe even to inform David, brethren, God will turn the tables. The very people that would want to destroy you, God will anoint one of them to be able to tell you what is going on. Will turn someone's heart just to love you, just to favor you, and it will be the, from the very place where they want you dead. Because God has a way of doing it. He did it for Moses. Moses is now taken into Pharaoh's palace. But God has got a way to bring Moses' mother to come and take care of Moses and while taking care of Moses to even be paid to do what she was not supposed to be paid for. God will turn the tables. God will do the paradoxical. God will confuse the enemy. God will use the opposite to advance you to wherever you want to go. The greatest thing that you can do is to commit everything to God. Now, here is the Jonathan factor in the life of David. Amazing. Look at their friendship. It was a friendship. You know, now Brother Brenham says, in the message, what does thou hear, paragraph 4-0, he says, and you can't buy friendship with money. Friendship is a gift of God. Now, we have to agree, Jonathan was a gift from God. It's not because David was doing David a favor. Jonathan was deployed by God to be of assistance to David. And I know we complain during our time that there is scarcity of friendship there are still genuine friends. Maybe you need to wait, especially young people. Don't just befriend anyone. Wait until God sends you a real friend. Because the Bible says, bad company corrupts good morals. You have to be intentional about the people that you clo bring closer to you because they're going to influence you. And when they influence you, the actions will show. And we must only be receptive to godly uh, influence. But look at this. In 1 Samuel 18, verse uh, Samuel 
18 verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here I need to debunk some myth here. Homosexual community often reads this scripture and advance a view that there was a homosexual relationship between David and Jonathan. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not the case. Jonathan and David were friends based on the covenant, covenant that was inspired by God. But their souls were so knitted together. David loved Jonathan from his soul. Jonathan loved David from his soul. May God bless you with the people that will love you from their souls. May you be the kind of person that will love people from your soul. Your souls. This is beautiful. Now, they, are, they were knitted together. I want to zoom in because I've said it in the previous a uh, 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 part, I think part one and part two, that you've got to find people that hold you accountable. You've got to find people that pray for you. You've got to find dependable people spiritually. This goes for every person within the body of Christ. David found Jonathan. You have to have Jonathan. Everybody needs a Jonathan. I knew we live during a time where we've been betrayed, where we've been wounded, where we've been disrespected, where we've been undermined. Oh, brother, despite that, you still need a Jonathan. And God, by the Holy Ghost, will lead you to your Jonathan. But let's just look at what the prophet speaks about. He says in this message, God hiding himself in simplicity, then revealing himself in the same paragraph 3. He says in this message, and I appreciate friends everywhere. But there is nothing, there is something about old friends. No matter where you make new friends, it still isn't the old. So, you, as you navigate, and there is a reason why I'm saying this. As you navigate new terrains, as you navigate new opportunities, as you move and progress in life, you're going to make new friends. But uh, here is something that I need to say to you. Brother Bruno said there is nothing, as much as we meet new friends, there is nothing like old friends. You know why the beauty about the old friends? The old friends knew you when you were nothing. Remember, even the Lord came a time where he said to David, do not forget that you were just a shepherd boy and I made you a king. As you navigate and grow in life, even including us within the pastoral ministry, as we navigate and grow, there are certain people that we should never leave behind. Somebody that can tell you how you began. Something that can remind you of your character, how you were 
during the time of obscurity. Somewhere that can remind you where, who you were when the, when the lights were not shining. Somewhere that can remind you how your character was refined. Somewhere that can remind you of the original objectives. Somewhere that can remind you of original motives that you remember when we were there, this is what you had in mind. And you made a promise that when it turns out to be how you wanted, this is how you were going to behave. Jonathan was that kind of friend to David. Brother Brim said, Brother Bosworth is like my Jonathan. And I say, if the prophet had a Jonathan, brother, you must have a Jonathan. Sister, you must have your own Jonathan. Somebody that can tell you and remind you of how the journey has been. Somebody that can remind you when the chips were down and God intervened. All friends are there to remind us. Oh, brethren, we as pastors, as you get a new, a new and bigger and better building, you need somebody that can come to you and say, do you remember the time when your car was your office? Do you remember the time when we had nothing but we were able to go out and witness to the people? Somebody that can cut your head to size. That's simply what I'm saying. Never go to the point where you become unreachable. David never got to a point where he was unreachable by Jonathan. And he, Brother Brenham never got to a point where he was unreachable by Brother Bosworth. So never get to a point where you are unreachable. Have people that can sit around the table with you and say, goodness, Things are now taking a different trajectory and the trajectory that is taking, it is not what was originally intended for. People that can hold you accountable. All friends are not coming when things are shiny. All friends are not coming when the bank balance is fed. All friends are not coming when everything is going rosy. All friends were there when things were not there. And they are not attracted by who you have become. They are attracted to you by, based on who you are and where they remember where you came from and the journey that you took. Goodness, I hope somebody will get it here. Now, Look, look, I, I, I want to, as much as a, a friendship is a gift from God, I want to say you attract people based on who you are. You attract people into your life based on who you are. Young people, hear me? You attract people into your life based on who you are. The, you are spiritual value system determines a lot of things in your life. Your spiritual value determines a lot of things in your life. How can two work together unless they agree? A gossiper will never be a friend of a non-gossiper. A drunkard will never be a friend of a sober man. A principled man will never be a friend of unprincipled man. Because why? Your spiritual value system attracts or determines a lot of things in your life. Here, let me pause. There is a gentleman that drove to a service station 
And when he got to this service station, he wanted to fill up petrol or gas. And as he pulled over there, then he had this petrol attendant that was attending to him. Now, the petrol attendant came because they are very courteous people and he volunteered to clean the, the windscreen of his car. And the petrol attendant was busy cleaning and as he was wiping and drying up the windscreen, the man said, my windscreen is still dirty, man. What have you done? Then the petrol attendant continued to wipe just to make the customer happy. The man was persistent. It is still too dirty. Until when the petrol attendant realized there might be an escalation based on what was going on there. But look at what happened in it ultimately. After the petrol attendant was at his wit ends, and this customer was at his wit ends, then the customer took off the spectacles. When he took off the spectacles, he realized the windscreen was clean. The only thing that was dirty was his spectacles. So the dirt was not on the windscreen. The fault was not with the petrol attendant, but it was with the person that was apportioning the blame. You see the world as you are. A thief thinks we are all thieves. A liar thinks we are all liars. But sometimes you need to take off your spectacles and check that how what you accuse people to be isn't how you are because you see the world as you are. That's why I say anything depends on your value, spiritual value system. But I want to get to why did God love David so much and even called him a man after his own heart? Brethren, let me, let me paint a picture here. And we are taking scriptural lenses on how we look at David. David, let me give a background. This is a man that desired the wife of his own captain. This is the man that took the wife of his own captain. This is the man that slept with the wife of his own captain. And after he did that, this is the man that showed no remorse. Instead, this is the man that plotted and took the wife and called the captain back from the battlefield. Was not even moved that the man is in the battle fighting for the nation. Was not moved by Uriah's patriotism. Calls him home. And say you need to go and, and go and be at home. And we know how he wanted to stage the whole thing. The man didn't go home. He stood at the gate with the men of the city. And David, when he realized the man didn't go home, he called him, wrote a note, gave him a note, sealed it, and sent it to the general into the battle. And say, when you get there, give it to the general. The message was, Take Uriah, put him where the battle has intensified, 
and do not bring reinforcement his way so that he is killed in the battle. Then till this man that was loyal to the king, that was loyal to Israel, that was patriotic, he died because of David. David moved from being Aldatara to now being a murderer. David was not the kind of man that we would have wanted in our churches. Certainly would have rejected him. Not only in our churches, we would have rejected him out of our community. But why would God take a man who seemingly was evil, greedy, a murderer, aldatara, and say, this is a man after my own heart. Why would a holy God choose such Amen. Why would he bypass the priests that had set themselves aside for a service and picked up this man? Uh, I'm painting a picture to show you that being a man or a woman after God's own heart doesn't depend on the deeds, doesn't depend on what you have done or what you're going to do. It depends on sovereign grace and sovereign grace alone. I want us to unpack why God loved David so much. Ability to repent. David had the ability to repent. And I'm going to show you that Brother Branham agrees with me. And the message straight is the gate. Paragraph 97, he says, look, when David was told of his sin that he done, quickly, quickly, he repented and God loved him for it. What made God to love David was David's ability to repent. When it comes to spiritual training, I've seen people that cannot say, I'm sorry. Not only people in the pews, even people behind the pulpit are struggling to say, brother, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Sister, I was wrong. I'm sorry. David was not the man that the position made it difficult for him to say, I'm sorry. In life, as part of your spiritual training, never lose the ability to reconsider your actions, your ways, and approach. And you must be able to reconsider. And when you are wrong, you must be able to master enough courage to say, I am sorry. In the message of the hour, these ways, despite us being immersed in mysteries, despite us raving about the visitation of the pillar of fire, despite us having proximity to deeper things of God, but what has escaped our tongue is the ability to say, I am sorry. Churches have split because of the inability to say, I am sorry. 
families have crumbled because of the inability to say, I am sorry. Lives have been ruined because of the inability to say, I am sorry. David, what made God to love David was the ability to say, I am sorry. And I invite you in your own leisure time, go and read in Psalm 51 and check. is one of the Psalms that I would call the pinnacle of David's repentance. David, as much as he could sin and do very vile things, but the ability to bounce back and not be ashamed to repent is what moved God's heart and is what made God to love him. Maybe a quotation that comes, well, um, at the top of just, well, I'm on my feet. Brother Brenham in the message, what that was thou here, Elijah? He says, if you ever get to a point as a church member where you think you've got nothing to repent of, he says you are now in a much, much worse condition than a sinner in the street. I know in one assembly where a brother was praying, and he, as he was praying that Sunday morning, and he said, Lord, forgive our sins. A deacon called him immediately after church and said, you never say, God, forgive our sins. What would the visitors think of us? They would think that we are sinners. We don't say that. And I said, that deacon was myopic. That deacon was short-sighted. That deacon lacked the revelation. Paul says, we die daily. And I believe that when a visitor was there, he had this brother praying and say, God, forgive our sins. The visitor would have realized, I've come to a zone where God forgives sins. I've come to a zone where people acknowledge their imperfections and they are being perfected by God. That has escaped our vocabulary in the message of the hour, the ability to say, I'm sorry. While I'm here, I've got a question to every listener. Do you have an individual that you owe to go to and say, brother, I am sorry. Sister, I am sorry. I am reminded years back of a pastor who had invited a visiting minister. And when he had invited the minister and a couple in church heard who the visiting minister was and they went to the pastor's office and said to the pastor, Pastor, the pastor that you are inviting, this minister that you are inviting there's bad blood between us. He did some things to us. These were, they went on and on about how they were not on good terms with the visiting minister. Had it been, some of us would have simply taken sides and developed a complex towards that minister and displayed our lack of maturity as Christians. But listen to what this minister did. He said, look, the scripture says the righteous shall die for the unrighteous. When this minister comes, if you trust me to be God's servant and take me as your pastor, when he comes here, 
This is what I want you to do. I want you to come and have an audience privately with him and tell him whatever happened between us and you we take full responsibility. It's our fault. We take full responsibility. Forgive us. And this list couple listened and when the visiting minister came, they went there. That was the biggest reconciliation that they have ever experienced in their lives because even the visiting minister was able to say, I as well could have handled things differently. I am as well guilty. Forgive me. And there was a forgiveness between the couple and the visiting minister triggered by the host pastor. That maturity, I submit, it is very, 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 very scarce in the message of the hour. They would have poisoned, the pastor would have been poisoned by the couple and the poison would have moved on and the poison would have moved into the church. The poison would have moved even into that pastor's church and not long it would have been like a sulfuric acid within the body of Christ. Exactly what we have seen in recent times in the message of the hour. We don't have bridge builders. But David had the ability to say, I am sorry. In your spiritual training, if you cannot have the ability to say, I'm sorry, you're gone. But let's hear the second thing. In the message, the great, this great warrior, David, paragraph 4, the prophet says, David has always had a real place in my heart. He has got a place in every genuine minister's heart because he was, as God said to him, a man after his own heart. I like to see people who know where they are standing. I like to see people who know where they are standing. Who knows what they are talking about. I like to hear people talk no matter what they are what religion they belong to or what subject they are talking on, if they know what they are talking about, I like that. Now, the prophet says, what he liked about David, he knew where he stood. He knew who he was. And he knew what he was talking about. I can summarize this quotation with one word, conviction. Ability to repent and conviction was not wishy-washy, was not, he had no spaghetti backbone, he had a, a backbone. He knew where he stood. Brahman says, that's what makes me love David. And I believe it's what made God to love David. Ability to repent and conviction. Are you the kind of Christian, and I'm going to put it this way. If you walk into a group of people, and maybe they are sitting and discussing somebody negatively, gossiping, are you the kind of believer that can interrupt and say, brethren, 
I don't think it's our space to be able to talk about this individual when they are not around. Would you mind that I schedule a meeting with you and this individual present so that you can air your grievances and per adventure we may help our brother or our sister. And if you are not willing to do that, kindly stop what you are talking about. I don't want to be part of it. It will pollute my soul. And if you continue doing like that, I refuse to be part of any gathering where you are because I realize your gathering is not to build, is to destroy. Have you got such conviction? David's character. God loved him because of his ability to repent. God loved him because of his conviction. God loved him because he was principled. God loved him because of worship. I don't think there's ever been any worshiper in the entire Bible timeline that was a worshiper like David. Go through the book of Psalm. Psalm would reduce you to tears. David had a way to worship God. When he was victorious, he worshipped God. When he, he was down, he worshipped God. David worshipped God through all the seasons. During his winter, during his summer, during his autumn, during his spring, David worshipped God. Are you, I've seen people that render items even in church because they are happy. When they are happy, no longer happy, they don't render item. If you are a worshiper, you can be diagnosed with cancer Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning will be there worshiping until people that don't know what you're going through, they would be shocked if they knew what you were going through because you are a worshiper. David was such kind of amen, repentance, I'm very sorry, conviction, knowing who he was and standing for what he believed in. Principled, never took an unprincipled opportunity. He waited upon God, a worshiper through all the seasons. As I come to the end of the broadcast, I have a question for you. Things that we have shared about David, are they there in your life? Do you have the ability to say, I'm sorry? Do you have the ability to repent? Are you a person of conviction? Not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Are you consistent when it comes to the things of God? Are you principled to that you can reject a bad deal because it's unprincipled? Are you a worshiper? Irrespective of the season that you find yourself in. If you do not, are you, have you got any grudge against somebody? You cannot 
Brother Brum says a dove is an is an is a bait that does not have a gall because it does not have bitterness. And we need to have the nature of the dove. Who are you keeping a grudge against? Accumulation of grudges is a demonstration of poor Christian discipline. And furthermore, it's a demonstration of poor Christian training. We need bridge builders. As we bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. We appreciate you for the time that you have granted to us. I pray for every brother and every sister that will listen to this broadcast. May it be a blessing to them. May it bring enlightenment to them. May it humble them. May it make them to reconsider their ways. May it help them to be better equipped, better trained, so that as we spoke about the life of David, May they come to a point where you could say they are the people after your own heart. We appreciate everything. Forgive us for where we may have said anything against our fellow brothers, anything against our fellow sisters. It was not intentional, Lord, forgive us. And if there's anyone that we would have to fix matters with, reveal it to us. We are not hesitant to go and say we are sorry because... We are Christians. As I commit everybody to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you richly. Until such time, we meet again Sunday, 10 o'clock. Sunday, 10 o'clock, we'll meet again. God bless you richly. It has been a pleasure for you to join us. We appreciate you and keep on joining us. God bless you richly. Shalom. Shalom.